So we're, uh, we're in a series, we're almost finished. Next week we'll conclude it. And it's called The End and the Beginning. And this series is a look at some of the passages in the book of Revelation. And the writer of Revelation is a guy named John and he's writing from an island called Patmos. And he, he's writing about the end of the current way of thinking the current belief about how life ends, about who's in charge, about the things that we need to accept. He's he's writing about a vision that he's had of the most daringly hopeful future that anyone had ever conceived and written down at that time, a future where all the good things of humanity are are brought to even greater heights. And the people who are sick and dying and ill are healed, that the loneliness and despair that people are dealing with has healing brought to it, and that new heights of human and divine imagination coalesce into something that's never before been seen. And so this morning, we're looking at Uh, another passage here describing the central location where this vision reaches its height, and that's this new city, this, this urban dwelling place called the New Jerusalem and some of the characteristics of it. And when I began reading this passage, I was really captured in my imagination by this idea of a sun of, of, of light that never ceased, that there were no nights in this place. And it made me think of some of the times that I've stayed up all night. You ever stayed up all night? Have you ever stayed up all night? Let me ask more specifically, because you wanted to? <laughs> for something fun, for a fun reason? Uh, I've, I've done both. And I was thinking about one of these times, I think I was 18 or 19, I was a freshman in college. It was about this time of the year when school was out and I just finished my first year of college and I stayed up all night with my friends and I watched the sun rise. And I don't remember feeling tired. I remember feeling like I was having a lot of fun. And I remember long conversations with, with different people and I remember being excited that I was gonna get to see the sun rise. You ever had an experience, anything like that? Similar to that? Some of you are like, no, I'm not interested in staying up all night ever. That, that's my wife, when I talk to her about something like that, she's like, no, I've never stayed up all night and I never want to. But for John, in this vision that he's having, there's, there's this new way of thinking about the world, this new way of operating where heaven is coming down in the midst of earth. And, and the, the passages that we follow in this thing called the lectionary that churches all over the world use to teach from, it skips over this part, this huge part about the city where it shows the measurements of it and what it's made out of and all these sort of things, which there's a lot of really powerful symbolic meaning in it. But it zeroes in on this part of describing this heavenly city. And I think that it's, 
incredibly valuable for us and can provide us with a lot of inspiration for our lives right here and right now today. It reads in the second part of verse 23 of chapter 21, and the city has no need of sun or moon to shine on it. For the glory of God gives it light and its lamp is the lamb. So we don't even, we don't even know if there is a sun or a moon in this instance. We just know that the presence of God is so near, is so palatable that the energy and the light from God, it outshines every other luminary, every other light source that's possible. By its light will the nations walk and the kings of the earth will bring their glory into it and its gates will never be shut by day and there will be no night there. In verse five in the next chapter, it says a night will be no more. They will need no light of lamp or sun for the Lord God will be their light and they will reign forever and ever. So yeah, that's a, that's a really interesting thing because I've just been thinking about like, what does daylight mean to me? What does daytime mean to me? I want you to think about that. Like, what does it mean to you when you wake up and the sun is up or you go outside the first time that you see the sunlight in the morning. What does that symbolize to you? How do you connect with that? Or if you have to get up before the sun's even up, what's the difference for you when you think about those two types of experiences there? When I first read this, I immediately thought of Alaska. Because in Alaska, right now, the sun never sets. This time, they just started this two-month period of time where the sun stops all the way going down. And some of you are gonna be like, well, Jamin, actually, okay? So it's the sun goes like six degrees below the, the horizon line. And so it looks like dusk and dawn for like a couple of hours, but for the other 22 hours, the sun is up in the sky and it looks like daylight. In Fairbanks, Alaska, they're experiencing 24 hours of daylight right now. What would you do with that amount of daylight? What would you feel? Here's a testimony from somebody living in Alaska that's lived there for over a decade. In 10 plus years in Alaska, not once have I heard an Alaskan say that they don't like the long days. It's not uncommon to hear a lawnmower running or kids playing outside at 11 p.m. The Alaskan day length means that any activity people want to do is only limited by their schedules. He said he has hiked during the overnight hours and he'll sometimes see other hikers doing the same. Isn't that interesting? He said the Alaskan day length means that any activity people want to do is only limited by their schedules. And I think about this verse, these verses in the book of Revelation, and I think about this question like, what if you could do any activity that you wanted at any time and you were only limited by your ability to schedule. 
Well, some of you'd be like, well, it'd be exactly the same because I can't schedule anything, right? But for maybe you had a planner, maybe you had somebody who could help you with your schedule and, and, and you had an unlimited capacity to do good with that amount of time. John wants the people reading this, the people that are testifying to the lordship of Jesus, to a greater power than the Roman Empire, to the government of the day. He wants them to know that one day they will experience this level of freedom, this connection with God that will be this good, and it'll be like this. He wants them to imagine 24 hours of daylight. Why? because that's not what their life's like right now. Their life is filled with darkness. Their life is filled with people who are getting sick and ill. Their life is filled with people who are testifying to the Lordship of Jesus and they're losing things because of it. They're losing influence in their community. They're losing property. They're losing their ability to make a good living. They could even lose their lives. And he wants them to know that there's something greater, something to expectantly hope for than what the empire of Rome can offer, what the empire of the United States can offer, what our local governments can accomplish and do for us. He wants them to imagine and even to to bask in this, this new Jerusalem to strengthen their resolve and build their hope. Don't we all need hope? Don't we all need to hear that things won't always be the way they are right now when we're suffering, when we see the terrible things going on in the world or in our own lives, in our own hearts, in our own situations. So he wants them to be encouraged and to hope for that, but not just that, as we've been talking about, he wants them to think about and to put into practice how can they be builders of the future, not simply repeaters of the present. The the guy I was quoting before, this climatologist, (laughs) I think I made that up, that word up. That's, That's real, confirmed from the scientist up there, all right. He said that, These very long days are disorienting at first, but soon everyone gets used to it. So if you're thinking right now, 24 hours of daylight doesn't sound appealing to me. It sounds tiring to me. It sounds unrestful to me. Here's, let me say this first of all. I don't think it's literal. First of all, I don't think the 24 hours of daylight is literal, but the metaphorical weight of the hope that's inherent in it is what John wants us to think about. So thinking and living with this much hope can be really disorienting. And here's the thing, most of us in the room are adults right now. And if you're not an adult, before you know it, you're gonna blink and you're gonna be an adult. And as adults, we're focused a lot on what we can't do. And as a parent, I'm constantly talking to my kids about what they can't do. You can't run into the street. You can't put your hand in that fan. You can't touch that fire. You can't walk your brother who's only a couple years younger than you through the neighborhood by yourself. You can't. I can't not do my taxes, you know? So it's disorienting 
to ponder and to consider what would we do with 24 hours of daylight? What would we do if we had an unlimited capacity to do good? But that's what we're gonna do right now. It says again in verse 23, the glory of God gives it light, this city, and its lamp is the lamb. By its light will the nations walk and the kings of the earth will bring their glory into it and its gates will never be shut by day and there will be no night there. So for us, it's, it's like, okay, gates, you know, whatever, cities with gates. Our cities don't have gates today, but for John's readers and listeners, these gates, they had to be there. It would be very important for them to be able to imagine this city that had gates and it's directly related to daytime and nighttime. It's kind of like during the day, if you leave your door unlocked, well, maybe not in Memphis, but in some places you leave your door unlocked during the day and you're kind of like, good, you're not that scared that somebody's gonna break in or whatever. But at night, you gotta lock your doors. That's when most of the people get their windows bashed in or stuff stolen and things like that. And so for the people of God here listening to this, they're listening about this city and they're like, okay, are the gates there? I need to know what it's gonna be like. I need to know if it's gonna be safe enough. And in this vision, the city doesn't have any enemies. God's already dealt with all the enemies. There's nothing going on there. It's just filled with the people of God, of every ethnicity, of every culture, of every kind. It's not a, it's not a cloistered off, segregated to one group of people type of city, but it is a safe city. It is a city that has protective walls around it. And just, just for right now, just during this sermon, just for a moment that maybe it can extend into longer and longer times, I want us to think about this question. What stops us in our tracks from doing good in the world because we don't think it's safe to do so? Or we don't think that we're safe if we do it? This is part of what John is is primarily convinced about in these 21 chapters that we've been flying around and through and past for the past few weeks is he wants the believers in Jesus to know that they can accomplish things that they don't see around them, that they can live a life that testifies to the lordship of a God who was crucified and rose again. So what are the resources that we think we have to stockpile? How much money do we think that we have to save before we're safe, before we're okay? How, how completely must we guard our hearts against pain and suffering from those that care about us and love us and need that from us? John wants those who live these lives of powerful testimony to know that there is a time when they will be utterly and completely safe. I'm afraid that if I live this way right now, I'll get taken advantage of. And, and, and it's not because I just have irrational fears about getting taken advantage of. It's because I've been taken advantage of all through my life. But the, but the time that stands out the most is middle school. Anybody else for that? Like, I, I just hated middle school. You know, if you hang around this church long enough, you're gonna hear a story about me in middle school and it's probably not gonna be a happy story, right? 
I hated middle school. I felt like I was so naive. I moved to Memphis from this like nice little suburb out in the suburbs of Atlanta. And it was like, it was like the new Jerusalem. It's like every, every race and ethnicity, we were all just getting along and having a good time. And then I moved to Memphis and I just remember all these smiling faces that were tricking me <laughs> in middle school. This these vulnerable moments, these vulnerable times. And John is painting this picture of this safe city where people's capacity to do good and to be vulnerable can just continue endlessly, 24 hours of daylight. The gates are open, everything's unlocked. And I wanna ask, what would you do if you felt like you could live with that amount of security and safety that God had you just like that? That you're, the gates could stay open and that no matter what happened, that you were safe and secure in God. Somebody give me an amen somewhere in here. And it makes me wonder, in the dark that we live in, in the cycle of day and night, how much of me is hidden? Because I can't live that way. Because in middle school, I learned that if I trust people, I'll get taken advantage of or I learned all the can'ts in life. I, I, I learned that my childlike wonder and my capacity to hold big ideas that didn't fully make sense or didn't have all the plans in how to, how to make it happen, I learned that those things shouldn't be entertained anymore. Locked them away behind locked gates, behind the metaphorical night of this life that I'm living it, living it in fear. And some of you might say, ah, Jamin, I don't live, I don't live fearfully, not me. I don't do that, I don't live out of fear. And I say, well, maybe you've just insulated yourself from those fears. Maybe you're so far away from, from those vulnerable wonderings and longings for these big ideas. Because here's the thing, I think every one of us have been given divine visions of things that can't be fully realized on earth. But out of our desire to stay safe, to live behind locked gates, we forget about them. We insulate ourselves and we settle. This is ex the exact thing John, John is so radical, man. He's, he's so radical. He, he's, he's trying to convince these people who have every fear that somebody could possibly have to witness to this type of big life, this life in Jesus, this life in a resurrected savior who struck no sword to anyone else, who, who did not try to conquer through violence, but conquered instead through hope. He's trying to convince them to live this type of way in this violent, oppressive environment. And it makes me think of the words of Jesus. It makes me think of Matthew chapter six, verse 19 through 21 in the Sermon on the Mount, where Jesus says, do not lay up for yourselves treasure on earth where, um, where moths and rust destroy, where thieves break in and steal, but lay up for yourselves treasure in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. The interesting thing here in this passage is that this city 
it, it like drops, it drops down out of heaven. It's like descending slowly, right? But, but in this passage here, we see some other things going on. We see direct contributions from this concrete world that we live in now. You see, you see in, verse, in verse 24, it's, it's this treasure that was laid up. It's this treasure that Jesus is talking about. It says in, in verse 24, back to verse 24, it says, by its light will the nations walk and the kings of the earth will bring their glory into it. And its gates will never be shut by day and there will be no night there. And they, the kings, will bring into it the glory and the honor of the nations. You know what I hear when I hear that? I hear that everything good and useful and pure that any human being is accomplishing right now in the world will be used to build and sustain the culture of this new Jerusalem, of this heaven on earth, which, which means, it means literally what Jesus is talking about, that there are things that we do right now, that there are opportunities that we have. If we hold on to the hope, if we're vulnerable enough to hope in the visions and the dreams that God has given us, that will last into eternity. It's your chance right now. It's your chance. Amen, amen. This means the stories of your life, of my life, of the ideas and the accomplishments that can make it into the future because they're good, they can last forever. That means I can actually begin to live like there's 24 hours of daylight right now. I can do things today. I can invest my time. I can care for those around me or I can hedge my bets. I can, I can live in a way that sort of tries to mitigate everything and live a same controlled sort of life that I see other people of similar means as me doing. And I can lose out on making eternal contributions to the multi-ethnic culture of the new city of Jerusalem that God is building and establishing by our works even right now, even today. Uh, a few months back, it's been a while now, a few months back, uh, the, the Martins and the Carters, our two families, we were having dinner at our house and um, we were talking about our weddings. I don't know how it came up, but we were talking about our weddings. And one of the things we did at, at Becky and I's wedding is we had a, um, we had a buffet and the buffet was all these different refugee uh, uh, cooks from different parts of Africa um, and they, and they, dis, they, they, uh, they had um, for us to eat here in trays, a buffet. Come on, Jamin, okay? So they had them in trays for us to eat. It was a buffet, and we could sample food and eat food from all these different cultures, and they were dressed in their traditional attire, and they had little flags uh, from their country in front of their food, and so it was just, it was great. It was fantastic, because I Becky and I had both separately, before we met each other, build relation, built relationships with the refugee community here in Memphis from various parts of Africa and even a few other places. And, um, and my idea, I had this big 
idea while I was planning a wedding that this would help get a business off the ground, a restaurant business for this refugee community to like start serving their different foods like that. And, uh, and I was like telling them, telling Stacy and Brandon about it. I'm like, yeah, but it didn't go anywhere. I was dreaming too big. And it was way like, there, what was I thinking? And, and Stacy said, that sounds like Global Cafe and Crosstown Arts. And I was like, oh, yeah. She's like, yeah, it's kind of like, like a butterfly effect of the idea. And I'm like, yeah. Yes, I like that. I, I feel a lot better about dropping the ball on that. But, but also, it makes me think of, of this passage. It makes me think of this tether, this tether between the, the goals and the dreams and the visions that God gives us and how we get to stack and build this culture, this way where, where things could flourish like they never could before. We're at a really interesting time in humanity where our, our, our technological feats have far outpaced our spiritual state. And, and I've, I've just been waking up with like these dreams and visions of different things lately. Not like, like I'm not, not like raptured up like John was. I'm not telling this from Mount Sinai, you know, or something like that. It's just as I've been swimming in the revelation waters and praying and having hope for these things, there's just been some ideas that have just keep popping up. And then I'm running into people that do this kind of stuff. And I had this dream about this building. We don't own this building. We rent it from Central Christian and, and we kind of partner with them and work with them. But I had this dream of like, what, what would this building could look like? And I wanna show you some, some slides about it just so you can see where, where my mind is here. Um, I was thinking like, what if this building could lead the way forward in like sustainability in Memphis? Like we've got limited space, we have limited grass, but what if we had a covered parking lot with solar panels on it? There's two huge flat roofs here. What if instead of just a big flat roof filled with a bunch of uh, equipment that has to run on the grid? What if there was like green spaces up there? What if there were gardens up there that could feed people? What if we collected rainwater? What if we cut out top of like, we've got like four floors in this building. We cut out part of the top of it and it became a greenhouse. And, and, and we were insulating and heating the building by producing plants and, and, and crops. And what if the soup kitchen, what if the people in the soup kitchen could be employed? What if Advanced Memphis, one of our partners, what if they could have a, a hub here where they trained people how to set up solar panels and how to, how to plant and garden? And what if uh, Dustin and Veda moved back to Memphis? They're only three hours away in Little Rock and they've been like five places in the past year. What if they were there? I hope they hear this. Uh, what if they were there and Dustin started back his business of selling uh, micro herbs and plants to the restaurants around here? What if, what if? What if, why not? There's a lot of reasons why not, Jamin. There's a whole lot of reasons why not. But I'm trying to live with 24 hours of daylight right now. I'm trying, to, I'm trying to let somebody catch a vision of the new Jerusalem. How can we build right now, today, for this world right here in this text? If we believe it, are we Christians? Do we believe it? Do we believe a man raised from the dead? Then I guess we could probably figure out how to put some solar panels on a building. 
See, we're living in this moment right now. Here's what I think's going on. I, and I mean, it's not like I made this up. I've, I've read this from a lot of different thinkers and, and, and people who are, are, are monitoring sociological events and philosophers. And I think we are in the middle of one of the biggest shifts in humanity that has taken place in human history. And what usually happens in the ones that we've experienced in the past is the vast majority of people keep living like nothing's changing. We keep doing the exact same things, living the exact same way, fighting over the exact same very small problems. And in the meantime, the entire world is going through this cataclysmic shift. Maybe even you could use the word apocalyptic shift. No? No laughing on that one? Okay. And my hope is that we get to be a part of that shift and what's happening at Christ City. Not, not in neglect of the other things that we're doing, that we're caring for each other, that we're, that we're mourning and grieving the things that are lost. Because here's the thing, in this, in this passage here, in this uh, place, there are trees. And these trees have leaves on them. And the leaves are for the healing of the nations. And so, so before we get, get too far and I'm like, okay, we're just gonna spin out another like nonprofit or something in Memphis. We're not gonna, we're not gonna try to outpace ourselves and neglect the very real and important ministries of the church. There's plenty of nonprofits. We got more than any other place in the country just about it in Memphis, Tennessee. But I do think, like I said earlier, I do think, I'm sharing my visions and dreams, but I do think that you each one of us have been given hopes and dreams that were meant for eternity. And so has everyone else. Let's look at these before we close here, these, these few verses here in, in uh, chapter five, first couple of verses where those trees are. The angel, then the angel showed me the river of the water of life, bright as crystal, flowing from the throne of God and of the lamb through the middle of the street of the city, also on either side of the river, the tree of life with its 12 kinds of fruit, yielding its fruit each month. The leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations. So a couple observations here. There's a lot that could be made. God is providing the healing that we need. Part of the reason why our hope is pushed down is because we have hurts, we have harms that we can't stop talking about, that we can't stop thinking about, but we're not actually opening up our hearts to be healed from those things. But there is healing available in the future and right now. So God's providing healing. Even in this new city, in this new Jerusalem, there is a recognition that we have pain, that we have hurt, and that we need healing. The healing's for the nations. The healing's for, for every human being. It's for the fighting uh, amongst people groups, and it's for the fighting right inside of us. Also, interestingly enough, there are times when we see God healing and providing what we need directly. And there are also times like this 
where we see that God has given us instruments for healing. Nature, in this case. So there's some very real and concrete in John's vision, if I can say those two things together. Places of healing, there's water and there's trees and nature. Affirming the goodness of of the natural world that we, we have right now but also the, the other thing that I notice here is that God is giving us access to resources that are given by God for our healing. So yes, God heals us in many ways directly, but God also provides in our world other sources of healing. In fact, did you know this is happening more in the UK, not as much in America, probably because nobody would do it, but um, they're providing, uh, doctors and and psychologists and things are are providing prescriptions for spending time in nature, for depression, for anxiety, to like go garden. I just think that's pretty interesting. That like the beginning story in the Bible is a garden. And the last story in the Bible is a city with a garden in the middle of it. It's almost like God's healing in this new Jerusalem through photosynthesis. Where's the light coming from? It's coming from God. How do trees grow? Photosynthesis. And the trees have leaves for the healing. I'm going too far with y'all right now. This is just the way my, what, what I, here's what I realized. I was not excited about this book, Revelation. But then I realized like my artist brain, wow, it's gone nuts with the book of Revelation. The things that, the things that have connected for me. This healing, some of us need to hear this. This healing is not an end in itself though. It's to help you recover the life that was lost so that you can bring yourself more fully into this meaningful, purposeful life that God has envisioned for you. In verse four, it says, they will see his face, his name will be on their foreheads and they will reign forever and ever. Have your identity back that childlike, wonder-filled, vision-filled identity that you were given. And then you get to do a bunch of cool stuff with it. 24 hours of daylight. We don't live in the New Jerusalem. I'm closing here. We don't live in the New Jerusalem, but we can ask God and we can work together to live as future residents of it. We don't live in the new Jerusalem, but we can ask God and one another to help us live as future residents of it. So as we come to the communion table, I want us to ask ourselves and to be thinking, what would it look like if we lived a single day as if we had 24 hours of daylight? Let's pray.